Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're going to continue the journey that we began right through Mark's Gospel of the Good News about Jesus Christ. Last week, we, we worked down through uh, verse 15 of chapter 1. This morning, we're going to pick up at verse 16. And, and as you turn into Mark chapter 1 this morning, let me ask you this. Who are the people who planted seeds in your life? The people who maybe by a comment or a moment or a special weekend or a season of time, who are the people who left their fingerprints on your soul? We all have them. Uh, we all can identify, if we pause for a moment, those who've had a big influence in our lives, maybe in some very specific moments. Um, who are those people in your life? Uh, I have a few when I ask myself that question, I, I think back to a third grade teacher who, who said to me one day, just in one, I don't remember her name, can't really remember her face, but I remember her saying something to me one day that completely changed my life. She handed me back a little paper I'd written and she said, Greg, try not to use the same word more than once in a paragraph. And for whatever reason, when she said that to me, she birthed in me a love of words. And for the rest of my life, I've heard that echo in my head and my heart. And it's caused me to just uh, be profoundly interested in communication and words and how we communicate and trying to communicate well. And it's, it's one moment in a third grade class that I'm sure she doesn't remember. And yet it was profound. I think of a coach who said to me, Greg, when you miss your first shot, your head goes down, and I know you'll keep missing. He said, but the best players only make half their shots. He said, everyone fails, but not everyone keeps trying. And I've never forgotten that moment, standing there all sweaty <laughs> to one side of a gym. I'm sure, again, my coach probably doesn't remember that moment, but wow, what a difference it made in my life. I think of a supervisor, a boss that I had who said, Greg, nobody's ever going to accuse you of not working hard, but you sure know how to work dumb. <laughs> that stuck with me, you know. I thought to myself, yeah, okay, I, I received that. I think of Rhonda many years ago saying, okay, I'm with you in this calling to ministry. Wherever it leads, I'm with you. And I think of how that has made all the difference. I think of my uncle who sent me a little book when I was a young man looking for answers about life. And, and he said to me, while you're asking questions, Greg, be sure you listen to Jesus. Who are the people who planted seeds in your life? And who are the people into whose lives you're planting seeds? Boy, there's a question worth thinking about. Sometimes in all the hustle and bustle and hurry of the world that we live in, we forget what we're supposed to be doing here, which is planting seeds in the lives of those around us. And we end up using our lives to build something foolish instead. I, I did a little internet search this morning and I came up with some construction failures I thought I'd share with you this morning. Uh, builders who set out to do one thing and accomplish something else. So I thought I'd share just a few of them with you. For example, here's number one. Uh, you know, if you weren't disabled before, you probably will be after you use this particular handicapped access area, yeah. How about this one? I really have no comment about this one. There's just not much I can say. Somebody wasn't reading the plans. How about this one? Think it through. Take a look at it and just sort of think it through. Yeah, somebody... Somebody wasn't paying attention. I think about this one. Now, this one, you just have to wait to, 
Wait for it. It'll come to you in a second. Yeah, yeah, right? Some, something was wrong there. How about this one? Kind of redefines cheap seats, right? Somebody says we got the cheap seats. There they are. This one I don't have any words for here. Uh, there's the diagram. There's what the guy built. And uh, this is why we send people to school. Um, how about this one? Watch your step when you go out for coffee in the morning because that could be interesting. <laughs> The next one's maybe my favorite. I, I don't know who convinced them to, to finish that one, but they did. I think this one's, next one's a result of King County regulations, probably right here is what this is. And then the last one, uh, why? Just because, you know, uh, just, you know, somebody not paying attention. I share those with us for this reason. What are you building? It's real easy to spend your life building something foolish. But God has called us to plant seeds in one another. And as followers of Jesus Christ, he's called us very specifically to plant seeds of gospel in one another's lives. And it's with that in mind that we pick up in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to what the scripture says. We'll read down through verse 20, then we'll work our way a little further into the chapter. The scripture says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, the scripture says, they left their nets and followed him. A little more on that in a moment so that we can understand what's happening there. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, let's pause for just a moment. It's important that we grasp some context here so that we can relate to what's happening in our time and place. First of all, when Jesus said, come follow me, it's not just kind of a generic hippie invitation, all right? The phrase, come follow me, is actually a formal technical invitation that was given by rabbis in those days to chosen people, inviting them into a program of spiritual growth in order to serve others. In fact, if you want to grasp the whole context, uh, each year in each community of devout Jewish believers, the rabbi would appear at a few people's homes at a certain time of the year and would knock on the door the family would open the door and the rabbi would call their son to be trained as a rabbi. And the way he would do that would be to formally come into the home and say to the son, come, follow me. And then they would leave together and the program would begin. And it was a great honor to be chosen for that. It's kind of the cream of the crop, so to speak, that were chosen every year for that, which adds another flavor to this moment. Jesus chooses those who'd never been chosen. He chooses men who had not been picked for that role. He, he chose fishermen and gave them that formal invitation. Part of the reason uh, that Peter and Andrew, James and John responded to this call was that they recognized what it meant. <laughs> They were being given a second chance. Later in life, they were being called to be part of that group they weren't chosen for early in life. So understand that that phrase, come follow me, is very significant. And then notice that from the very beginning, Jesus just began his ministry. We saw that last week. He began to preach this gospel of the kingdom. And from the very beginning, his plan 
was to teach people how to help other people connect with God. That was the nature of his invitation to, to all of these men in this moment. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Church, understand, that's not a promise of health and wealth and success. It's a promise of purpose and meaning. Jesus is inviting them to become spiritual leaders for the benefit of others. The history of this goes all the way back to the beginning when God called Abraham not only to be blessed, but more importantly, to be a blessing to the whole world. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 12. Jesus is doing the same thing here. He is inviting these men to take upon themselves a long-term training program so that, hear me, church, they can help other people connect with God. This is Christian faith. This is what you and I have been invited into a long-term program of spiritual development so that we can be, as we're going to see in a moment, seed planters in the lives of other people, pointing them to God. Christian faith, when we receive it, is an entry into that reality. Gordon MacDonald put it well. He said, without a mission, people tend to live by reaction instead of purpose. And so from the very beginning, Jesus gives his followers a mission. He's given us a mission. The Apostle Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Boy, I don't know what higher job title we could ever reach for than that. Jesus invites these men to enter into a program of spiritual growth so that they could bless other people by helping them connect with God. I, I think of, of, of our marriage, Rhonda and I. A, a good marriage isn't two people sitting around waiting to see what the other one might do. <laughs> That's not a good marriage. Instead, we pray and plan and dream and work together. That's the difference between a marriage and two people sitting next to each other on a bus. One has a purpose. And, and God invites you and I into his purpose. Unless you think that this purpose is only for a few the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, verse 12, that, that it is God's plan. Catch this now, because I'm going to challenge you. It is God's plan for every single believer to grow to the point where we are able to teach others. And to set that as our agenda, as our ambition, as our goal. Now, don't narrow teaching down to just standing on a platform or standing in front of a classroom somewhere. We teach most and best in a million other ways. But God intends that all of us, just as he said to Abraham, would become not only blessed in our own spirits, but a blessing to the world around us by helping other people connect with God. I will make you fishers of men. That purpose is fundamentally other-centered. It changes our lives from being about how far ahead we can get to how much we can contribute. God wants to turn you and I into seed sowers, scattering his gospel in every different way into the lives of people around us. That's his invitation to you and to me. The Wenatchee World newspaper in 2001 carried a cute story about a fellow by the name of Jens Ovison. 
Jens was fishing for salmon when he was swept away by a strong current out there in his waders doing his thing, took a wrong step. Next thing you know, he's floating down the river. When it happened, another man, Kjell Wilhelmsen, spotted him. And since he had been fishing, Kjell had this particular river for more than 25 years. He knew Jens was in trouble. The river was just going to get faster and faster, and his life was in danger. All Kell had was his fishing gear, but he knew he had to do something. So he ran ahead to a bridge that he knew was there, whipped out his biggest homemade lure, and when Yen came sailing down in the white water with only his face and his boots sticking out, he started casting for him. On his third try, he hooked him by the waders. And that was when he realized Yen weighed 250 pounds and he had a 50-pound test line. And so began the greatest fishing battle of his life, trying to land Jens. He said later he used every trick in his book from a lifetime of fishing, and ultimately he succeeded. Jens was saved. Kiel said to a reporter afterwards, it was kind of funny, and it was kind of fun in a weird sort of way. He said, but at the same time, it was so serious. I was glad I was able to do something. That's the ambition the Spirit of God wants to plant in my heart and yours. It's kind of fun in a weird way. I'm glad I can do something with what I have. See, that's Jesus' invitation to you and me, to be the kind of people who plant seeds in the lives of others, just as others have planted those seeds in us. Now, it's important to understand that while being a fisher of men is a supernatural and a spiritual thing, it is also very mundane. Let me illustrate. It would be easy to read Mark's account of the calling of James and John and Peter and Andrew and think that Jesus just walked by and spoke magic words, created a magic moment, and suddenly by some supernatural means which we haven't yet experienced, they were drawn into following. But Luke tells us in chapter 5 that the whole story was much more involved than that. Luke tells us in chapter 5 that Jesus had been teaching along the shoreline that whole morning, and James and John and Peter and Andrew, because they're there working their nets, were stuck listening to him. They couldn't get away from him. And Luke tells us that there came a moment in the course of that morning when Jesus said to Peter, who hadn't volunteered, Peter said, hey, could I use your boat? Could we get in your boat and go out a little bit from the shore? That way I can speak to more people. We'll use the natural acoustics of the water. And Peter says, well, okay, you know, I'm not going to turn him down when everybody's looking at me. And then Peter, you know, listened to him all the rest of the morning. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, hey, throw your nets back in. And Peter said, you're not a fisherman. We've been here all night. We haven't caught anything. Jesus said, just trust me and do it. And Peter said, well, okay. <laughs> and he did. And then he caught a whole bunch of fish. And then Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishermen. Here's why I emphasize that. It's easy for us to look at a moment like this, assume that it's the whole story, and then say to ourselves, well, that hasn't happened in my life, so God must not be at work in my life. But when we read Luke's account, we see that the whole story was much more mundane. And it's happening in us and through us the same way it happened there. See, often we get tricked into thinking that sharing God's word is all about magic moments. It's about much more than that. It's much more ordinary and everyday. Jesus knows that. And when he invites us, he wants us to understand that bringing people to God, that helping them connect with God, it, it is a team sport. It's not a solo show. It's a, a, a mission in which we each play a part 
in other people's lives. Here, here's how Paul writes about it, friends. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what he says. He says, what's Apollos? What is Paul? People were focusing on, on celebrities. He says, those guys are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted a seed. He says, Apollos watered it, and then God made it grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his labor. In the same way, we each play different parts in one another's lives. There's times when you are called to plant a seed by speaking out, hey, do you know Jesus have your Savior? Have you considered that, the reality of God? Do you know? There's other times when we just water a seed. We say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those folks. And then there's other times when we fertilize a seed. And then there's sometimes when we help harvest a seed. Sometimes uh, the greatest seed planting that we do is our simple example. What was it St. Francis said? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Sometimes it's just our example. But when we set the goal of becoming used by God in his mission, that's when all of this begins to occur. And Jesus is inviting Simon and Peter, James and John, you and me, to recognize that, to understand that, to hear that invitation. The Lord explains the same thing again again over in John chapter 4, for example, in that moment when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well and lots of people become believers. The disciples rejoice and they think it's about what they're doing. Jesus says, hey, fellas, the saying is that one man sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. He says, guys, don't think that it was just because we showed up today in a magic moment that all this uh, coming to the Lord is happening. He says, people for generations have been doing the hard work of sowing and of watering and of planting here in this village. We're just showing up as harvesters at the last moment, but the day will come when you see the whole picture, we'll all rejoice together. Those who planted seeds, those who watered seeds, and those who harvest seeds. Church, understand becoming fishers of men doesn't mean becoming a superhuman or supernatural expert. It means playing your part in sowing a seed, watering a seed, or helping to harvest a seed. It's a team thing. And the question is whether you're playing your part on the team or not. This morning, the Holy Spirit is challenging us to recognize that we have a part to play. Soren Kierkegaard said famously that Jesus has many fans but few followers. In other words, there's lots of people willing to cheer for him, far fewer willing to imitate him. But God seeks more from me. He doesn't call me to be a fan. He calls me to be a follower. James and Peter and Andrew and, and Simon understood this. And so as verse 20 tells us, they left their father Zebedee in the boat, they left the hired men, and they followed him. Have you? You see, our faith isn't so much a destination as it is a direction. L let me illustrate. The Bible goes on to tell us, verses 21 and following, uh, note what happens. They, these new uh, you know, recruits to the mission, they went to Capernaum with Jesus, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. That was his custom. Jesus was relentless in his observation of the fourth commandment, which is to gather one day in seven. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. That is, he obviously knew what he was talking about, not as their teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with this, Jesus of Nazareth? It's an insult. 
Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee. Now we can easily focus only on the reality of Jesus's power over the supernatural. That's worth focusing on, but there's more to the story. Can I tell you that in my life as a pastor, and you don't know very many people more down to earth, more skeptical, more cynical than I, but on at least a dozen occasions, I found myself in the presence of the demonic in all its fullness. And in every single incident, as I prayed and cried out to Jesus to bring his presence into that moment, every single time he did, this stuff is real. When you find yourself facing that kind of stuff, know this. You can cry out to the Jesus who is your Savior, and in that moment, he will exert his power. You don't need to be afraid. He is the living God. He's present now, just as he was then. But that's not the whole point of this story. In uh, you know, keeping with what we've been talked about, uh, talking about, can I point something out to you? The demons knew exactly who Jesus was. They believed in him. Now, it's easy to miss when they call him Jesus of Nazareth, it's an insult. Uh, remember that can any good thing come from Nazareth? <laughs> the, 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 the demons are seeking to belittle him, but they admit at the same time, I know who you are, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here's why that's significant. Some of us say that if we offer mere mental agreement with Jesus' identity, we've entered into Christian faith. No, we haven't. James tells us that the demons believe and they shudder. He says that faith always results in works. In other words, what we believe always changes our behavior. Otherwise, it's not real. Listen to how James writes about it in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, when we reduce Christian faith to mental agreement... We equate the demons with believers. But Christian faith is more than that. It's a response to what we believe. Now, we can get ourselves all kinds of sideways by asking if we've had enough response. That's not the point. The point is, it's a response. It's what we do because of what we believe that confirms the reality of our believing. And believing in Jesus always changes what I do. One of the things it changes is it makes me a sower. It makes me somebody who's looking to plant seeds in the lives of people around me. It changes what I do. When Rhonda and I got married, um, it was kind of a formal wedding. I mean, you know, as much as our socioeconomic status would allow, it was, it was formal. And it was a sacred day in her mind, maybe more so than me because she was more mature than I was back then. We got to the reception, and it came to the moment when you cut the cake and feed each other. And as I turned towards her with that big fistful of cake in my hand and a twinkle in my eye, you know what I was thinking. She looked me right in the eye and said very quietly so nobody else could hear, don't you dare. <laughs> now, in that moment, I experienced a crisis of faith. <laughs> okay. Did I believe her? or not? Did I understand the fear of woman or not? 
it was going, whatever I believed was going to affect what I do. <laughs> and I didn't, all right, in case you're wondering. But you see my point. You see, what we believe, if it doesn't change what we do, that's not faith. And Jesus calls us to recognize that reality. It's what we do. It's when we say, yes, God, I want to sow seeds in the lives of others. I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be part of your mission. I want to follow you, not just cheer you. It's in that moment that our faith becomes dynamic and powerful and real. You see, here's the thing. Believing either changes your behavior or it's not real. We can say we believe, but if it doesn't change what we do, we don't believe. Followers of Jesus change our behavior by becoming people who seek to plant seeds. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.22, these words, he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. He said, what I believe is changing my behavior. It changes how I live. Now, the story, this story in Mark's gospel is about Jesus' power over the supernatural evil. That's real. But there's, as you can see, more to it. The Lord is looking for more in my life than simply mentally agreeing with him. And the most important reason for that is so that we would become people who plant seeds in the lives of those around us just like he did. Now, the same reality comes home in the very next passage. Look at uh, verses uh, 32 and following. The scripture says, That evening after sunset, after a long work day, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many more demons, and he continued doing this throughout his ministry. Verse 39 says, He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, healing the sick. But those things, understand, friends, were only a means to an end. His mission was to keep planting the seeds that lead people to God. We know this because look at verses 35 to 37. In the middle of all this ministry, the scripture says that Jesus went out late at night to pray by himself to seek God. And in those moments, he found such clarity and purpose and mission that the Bible says very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place and prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. They found him. They said, hey, everybody's looking for you. Let's keep doing this and Jesus said no verse 38 let us go somewhere else so I can preach that so I can tell people the good news because to heal the body and never save the soul is to accomplish nothing and Jesus knew that and when he got alone and prayed he felt that reality again it changed him it corrected his course, not that uh, corrected is the wrong word, it, it you know, ex expanded his course, and he said, no, 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 I'm here to preach. When he was in earnest prayer, he began to feel fresh the reason his father sent him. He felt again the deep and simple desire of God to invite people to draw near him and enter his kingdom so they can know his leadership. When you pray for the people in your life, at work, in your family, in your neighborhood, when you pray for the people in your life who don't know Jesus as their Savior, you will begin to feel that reality again too. And God will say, hey, remember, Greg, I sent you here to plant seeds. I sent you here to water seeds. I sent you here to harvest seeds. I remember what it was like to be a kid with no dad. Okay, I remember being six years old and, and uh, you know, my mom was a single mom at that point. And, and then, you know, she married and she took us aside one day and said, hey, uh, Leroy, my husband, wants to adopt you, wants you to be his kids. And I remember thinking how awesome that was. I was going to get a dad. That's the gospel. 
to a world filled with people trying to invent names for themselves, God says, no, I want to be your father. I know your name. I want to teach you. I want you to be mine. And, and church, we are called to be the ones who plant water and harvest the seeds of that good news. All of us are. Jesus told a story in Matthew's gospel that helps us understand our father, and we'll kind of finish up here this morning. You can find that story in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. The Bible says this, Jesus is speaking, and he says, If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go back and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost that any sheep should remain lost. That's our Father's heart. That's our Father's shepherd heart. As a matter of fact, when you hear this story that Jesus told, to me it gives dramatically new meaning to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd who's looking for lost sheep. The Lord is my shepherd who wants to rescue all the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd not just for me, but for them. The Lord is the shepherd who calls me to search and seek with him. Do you want to draw close to the heart of the Father? Do you want to feel what he feels for you and for the world around you? Then come away from the hurry and hustle of a busy life chasing earthly success. And remember that our Savior calls us to become fishers of men, to plant seeds, to be on the team, to water seeds, to play your part in the story, to harvest seeds to play your part in the story. Church, the greatest success any of us will ever know has to do with seeds of gospel planted in other people's lives. The watering of them, the cultivating of them, and the harvesting of them. Nothing else we do, everything else we do will end up looking like those construction projects if we don't remember the reality of what God has called us to. Let me finish with a story. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the U.S. men's and women's 400-meter relay teams were heavily favored. Uh, they had beaten everybody multiple times during the track and field season. They were uh, record-setting teams. They were expected to blow away the field. The, that race for both men and women was expected to be not so much a competition as a coronation. Everybody knew they were the best. But on the day that the races happened, both the men's and women's teams committed the one mistake you can't make and still win. They both dropped their batons. You know, what's the purpose of the 400 meters? It's not to run really fast. It's to get the baton really fast around the track. And you can get to the finish line way ahead of everybody. But if you don't have the baton, you're in last place. And that's where both the men's and women's teams finished at the 2008 Olympics because they dropped the baton. God says, Greg, I've sent you out as a fisher of men. That's what I've called you to. Don't drop the baton. Sure, there's other stuff you're going to do, but carry the baton. And he says to you and me, to us, each one of us, in our families, in our jobs, in our schools, in our churches, in our communities, don't drop the baton. You can't win if you don't carry that to the end.
I wonder who God is calling you to pray for, who God is calling you to plant or water or harvest seeds of gospel, seeds of the good news of God's love and grace in Christ. Who is it God is calling you to? Can we bow our heads this morning, close our eyes? Who would God bring to your heart in this moment? Who would God bring to your mind in this moment? Whoever it is, pray for them right now. And you will begin to feel what Jesus felt that night in Capernaum. You'll begin to feel God's shepherd passion to seek and save the lost. Hey, you're his already. You belong to him. You're safe. But he's called you to be more than safe. He's called us to be fishers of men, to be seekers to be sowers, to be waterers. God, we thank you for this call this morning. It draws us near to you. draws us near to your heart and your passion. God, send us out from here this week acutely aware that that's what you've invited us to. Send us out into our world as your ambassadors. Very different from just trying to hang on. Send us out, Lord, playing offense. Send us out for them, we pray. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me, church?